All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And this is actually take two. This has been an adventure. So today's guest, you guys read the title. You know who we've got. We've got Willem Avenant going to be checking in with us. We've got a big announcement today on the plans and what is going down. Let me uh, let me get him going. So take two, the funny thing. Let's let's jump right into that one. The Chasing Waypoints podcast been going on now for three years. And in all of those years of recording, we can officially say now hundreds of episodes. Well, we finally had it, a corrupted file that completely ruined an interview. A great chat that Willem and I had a couple of weeks back that was getting ready to go. And I was like loading it up. And then all of a sudden, why does it sound like we're underwater? And uh, <laughs> rather than rather than throw all the equipment out the window, I laughed about it. I hit up Willem. Here we are, Sunday morning. You guys are going to be hearing this a little bit later. It is 3.45 in the morning, and we are recording this episode on the same day. So much for being prepared. But hey, you know what? It is a lot of fun. It is the world of the unknown, so you never know. So let's get working our way on here. Let's see how we can uh, get him inviting a friend to join. We're going old school. We're not leaving this to chance. We are going to do this correctly. We'll send that one over to him. So for some of those uh, of you playing the home game, you may have noticed we had actually changed it up a little bit. And I was calling people directly, and that's what we've been doing. But, you know, this time around, not sure what happened. And it was not not good. So we're going to wait for uh, Willem to join in here in just a second. And then we'll get everything. Uh, we will get everything going. Waiting for him to log in. So how's everybody doing? Where are we riding today? Huh? Let's get the uh, let's get the tags going. I want to see what everybody's doing. I got to work today. That's part of the show. You know, Friday, Saturday, get those days off to be able to travel to the events. A lot of events coming up. This little one, Dakar Rally, about to get started here in a few days. Kind of nice that they slid the uh, starting date about five days. It'll give a chance for, uh, for people to go spend the holiday, at least Christmas this time around. Won't be able to do New Year's. So waiting on that. Got a lot coming up. Even a new segment. That's right. We've got a new segment coming on to the show. We're going to be spot checking in. It is going to be the NAR files with Gnarly Dave. So look forward to those in the future. Got a few of them already. We'll be sprinkling them in. But with that being said, I think we have Willem on the phone. Willem? That is affirmative, man. Affirmative. <laughs> <laughs> so... I already had I had a great intro for for the first go around and I'm doing the intro right now. And I'm like, dude, this is crazy. You know, three three forty five in the morning, <laughs> the, the day of the episode. <laughs> I could I can't I, I you know, I honestly I can't be mad. Three years of doing this and this is only the second time I have an issue with an episode. So do you know why that's just like it's all part of the journey, right? Now we now we actually have a story to tell about how it started. I know, right? <laughs> it wasn't 
it's not always smooth. <laughs> no, so, because no, I was I was trying to remember everything we talked about. I was like, man, I I can't really remember everything we talked about. So it'll be like something completely new. Yeah, I you know it was funny. I was trying to listen to the episode and just like, is there any way I can save this? Any way? And it, it just doesn't. I mean, it sounds like, you know, AI did it in in its early stages, you know, <laughs> when mm-hmm. when the voice wasn't as smooth and didn't like, no, it was just, well, I sent you that audio clip. I was just so unimpressed with it. But, you know, hey, well, uh, I guess, you know, it's part of the journey, right? Like you said. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be like, oh, that time when we wanted to announce it and then we had to do it again because... We tried. Like it also shows you that the best laid plans, like doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, you can lay the plans as best as you want. It's about adapting to the situation in the in the given moment. Yeah, and make, making it happen. I'm, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm in I'm in scramble mode, and I'm like, okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to record. Uh, you know, I'll have them send me audio messages, or I'll have them do this, and I'll record an intro. I have it all upload. Literally, I just need to drag and drop the conversation in to the, mm-hmm. <laughs> to the episode, and I'm like. We're going to get this. This is going to happen. But yeah. So well, like thank you, said, you, man. I know it sucks to be up as early in the morning. So uh-huh. it's great because we've, it's great that it's happening actually, because we've got load shedding here. So we've got a lot of the part, times of the day we don't have power. And when we don't have power, we don't have cell phone service. So uh, Ooh, interesting. things have worked out just right. Yeah. Well, it's the, the towers used to have backup batteries, and then uh, it's been so many years of power outages that the backup batteries just stopped working. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's 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 a pretty, you get used to it, but I mean, it's now been five, six years of continuous, well, they call it load shedding, but it's, they basically cut off sections. They have different stages. So that, cause if the grid shuts down completely, that's a huge problem. It takes like two weeks to reboot the grid. So they cannot let the grid kind of shut down. So it's like, if there's too many people drawing electricity, then they do what they do call load shedding. And they just basically have phases where you just don't have electricity. So it's like the closest thing we, you guys, we'll have in the U S is like rolling blackouts basically. Yeah. The, what, you know, it's interesting you're saying that. And so I am familiar with the term load shedding only because of my day job for a certain electric okay. vehicle manufacturer whose uh, CEO happens to be from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so it's that term shows up in the uh, on the back end when the car's having issues with its 12 volt and it starts load shedding things to be able to mm-hmm. conserve itself. So it's funny how that's in two completely different, you know, areas, but there's a common there. <laughs> yeah, I think any any uh, the, the one thing that people can learn from the show is that if anybody uses the word load shedding, they've either been to South Africa or they're South African. <laughs> <laughs> they fully understand the ramifications of what that is. <laughs> they understand the pain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the journey, so you're in South Africa right now. What have uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, so last time you and I spoke, Victor, I was in the U.S. and we had a nice long conversation. Now I am in South Africa uh, training and uh, it's like super today. It's like 40 degrees Celsius, like, you know, where I live up in in the Mount, or it's like a desert desert area of South Africa, very similar to Arizona Mm -hmm. or Southern Utah, lots of... uh, I think Southern Utah has been the closest to the crew that I've seen. It's like big mountains and vistas and shrubland, but it's then it's desert as well. So 
Um, that's kind of where I am from as a kid. You know, I grew up here and learned to ride bike here. So it's kind of my happy place. And because I grew up here, I know so many people. And in South Africa, we don't have like uh, BLM land or open land. Pretty much all land here is privately owned, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously there's a lot going on politically about land restitution and stuff like that. But unless it's a national park, the land would be owned by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very hard. And I always say Americans are, or people living in America are actually super privileged. I know that you know it's a big fight we're fighting about getting access or, or keeping access to a lot of riding areas. Yeah. But it's still way, way more than any of us in South Africa has so people have this idea of Africa oh it's wild but it is wild but it's 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 owned by somebody yeah one (laughs) one way or another which is you know Texas is like that okay yeah I didn't I only recently found that out exactly like what you're saying was the same exact thing as like oh I thought you know Texas you know you could ride wherever you want it doesn't matter you know just be respectful and da 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 and then after I talked to um the uh who was it It was alex alex from conflict back when when he was around um Mm -hmm. or when conflict was around and he's the one that told me so no all the land out here is privately owned so you have to like have uh, or the majority of the land is privately owned so you have to know the landowners or there's areas where they do like uh you know they have multiple acres and you kind of like buy in you know you have Mm -hmm. like a monthly payment and that allows you land access and to be able to do that but it's not as um, you know, to go find an enduro trail and do these things, like it's on somebody's property. It's not going to be mm-hmm. other than the fire road. So that's interesting. I, I didn't know uh, that South Africa was like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm super privileged because I've got thousands of miles of, of like area to ride. And that to me is like, it's probably played a big role in, you know, me riding as much as I do today and, and loving it so much because there's always a place to explore. And because it's still a small community, you know, people are like, oh, sure, you know, but as long as you ask permission and as long as you're respectful, it's not a problem. So, um, so yeah, I'm out here training. And I, I think the, the point of this episode is to kind of share to the listeners what uh, we have planned for the next year. Um, and yeah, that's basically that, you know, after spending pretty much my entire grown up life and a lot of my child life dreaming of Dakar, I finally decided to pull the trigger, uh, for, for various reasons. And, you know, we're aiming for Dakar 2025. It's super early. I mean, it's 17 December of 2023. So I'm sure there's people going like, what the hell is this guy on about? Uh, it's still a year away, you know? So the process for Dakar, if you're serious about it, it starts pretty much 18 months to 24 months before the time. Yeah. Um, and one of the things we, we discussed at length is uh, finding a, a team and finding a bike ahead of time because you can't decide you want to go race and then just say, okay, I'm coming in June. You have to have all of those things lined up. So... I've spent many years looking at the Dakar, like living the Dakar, dreaming about it and intensely following it, doing interviews around Dakar time every year, writing articles about Dakar. And I've kind of put together a plan that I believe gives me the highest 
possible chances of success while still being the Dakar and while still needing a whole lot of good luck and support, I feel that, you know, what I put together is, is kind of going to be the road. Uh, we're calling it the decoding Dakar. And the idea would be to say, okay, if we follow this roadmap, you know, can we get to Dakar? Um, can we actually do it? And um, I'm very excited to kind of share that whole journey with you guys. And I think very often we focus on the two weeks of the race and not of the, the 18 months before the race. And it has been one of the things that I've struggled with the most was finding the relevant information in a palatable format that you know i could easily understand so part of the journey is going to be to build up this let's call it online resource where we document the journey and where we say that okay victor if you want to go to dakar you know if you're serious about it if you really want to go and you just don't just want to dream about it this is what it's going to take realistically Um, and, and that's the plan. That's the dream. You know, that's kind of a way that I see myself giving back to the community and, and also growing the community because we are hoping to get the message uh, out to a wider audience. I mean, your audience are definitely the, the rally audience and they have already a really good idea, but we want to spread the word a bit further so that we can stimulate interest in the sport and that's also a lot of what i'm doing next year is we're doing a lot of schools and training camps for absolute beginners just to kind of stimulate them into doing some races like the baja rally uh so that we can get guys on the bikes because you know we're pretty much the last generation that like riding bikes (laughs) you know we need to get some more people into it yeah that it's very that's very interesting uh Thing. I remember working in working at BMW a few years back. That was a thing that the newer generation, like just in motorcycles in general, were not. You know, you have the little niche markets like um, the, the cafe racers and things like that. But as far as dirt bikes go, and the younger generation, like that group is getting smaller. Where it used to be, every use everybody had a three wheeler in the family. You know, they had mm-hmm. these things, and now it's like, yeah, you're right. It's just kind of been shrinking and shrinking, and then. Add on top of that, the whole roadbook thing, you know, there's mm-hmm. less people that maybe are not familiar with that, you know, how do we even navigate? So it's awesome to hear, you know, yeah, part of this plan is is training and helping people get into at least the first step, which is a roadbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, uh, that. this is, I we when we initially, when you approached me about it and we, we started talking about it, that I thought was like, I think that's the most important thing is like, this is all of the steps that it takes to go to the Dakar. And there is mm-hmm. no, there is no road book to it. And I'm, I'm, as, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking like, you know, it'd be awesome is to actually make a road book and the kilometers be <laughs> like the months. <laughs> like that would be amazing. Oh, that, that would be would awesome. Be great, yeah, that would be also, we could like frame it afterwards, you yeah. know, and it's like, and that's that's one of the crazy things, right? Like the amount of scheduling and, and I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you can't just decide I'm going to go and do go up and do Dakar. I'm sure there's people that succeed in doing that. You know, I'm just, I'm doing it from, I guess, my personality perspective, which is, you know, calculated step by step, you know, the best 
possible way that I can approach it. So by no means do I want to dissuade anybody by saying, oh, you'll never get there if you just decide to go on a whim. I, I know people do do that as well. But I'm I'm more very systems oriented and I want to, and, and I think that that's a big part of the rally mindset is having checks and balances in systems. So, you know, I in November, I had to plan out 2024 and you know it's like my schedule for 2024 is full it's crazy it's like you know every week every month there's something that you have to do or attend and that's part of not just the, the Dakar stuff but the, the planning of of how you're actually going to make it and how you're actually going to get there yeah well i mean and that's you know that's exactly the you know the long the long-standing thing that we've known about road books you know, that, or rally races, right? You can be a, a phenomenal rider and, and not really know how to navigate and it's going to cost you a lot of time. Or the other way around is you could be a really great navigator and then not be, not be so hot at riding and that's going to cost you. So you have to find that balance. So like what you're saying is, is the same thing. It's like, you have to, there is a balance, you know, yes, mm -hmm. you could throw together a program last minute and do all this stuff, but you know, you're going to be the guy that shows up to, to Saudi, you know, currently because that's where it's being hosted without your boots. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you try and rush that process versus if mm -hmm. you take the longer approach and look like I'm going to plan this out month over month, these are the goals, these are the next steps, you know, it, it's a much better, uh, it's, I think it's much more attainable, like way more people would be able to follow your recipe and what you're planning versus somebody that like, you know, Hey, you know, it's a uh, Q3 2024. How about we go to mm -hmm. the Dakar? You know, that it just doesn't, that's if the ASO, um, and ASO even says, sure, come on down, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, that's if all the chips fall into place, you know? And, and I think, but the funny thing is the way that you've just put it, it, it kind of describes me as, a, as a, as a racer, as far as, you know, I have to do everything possible to give me the best possible chance because I am not what I would call a naturally gifted athlete or a very fast racer. And, you know, proceed your pre, your previous statement or your preceding statement is exactly why I absolutely love rally is because, you know, navigation has brought us this great equalizer. You know, there's, there is no other sport in the world where average riders or let's call it riders that are serious about their sport can rub shoulders with the best of the best in the world. Like, you know, it's going to Dakar is like going to the Olympics and in any other uh, sport discipline, you know, we, you can only dream about, you know, speaking to the heroes of the sport. Whereas in rally, it's like, okay, you know, I'm on the start line of, of, you know, with the heroes that I saw as a kid, you know, mm -hmm. um, or even today, I mean, and and those guys are all really good, friendly guys that's happy to give you advice. You know, I've reached out to so many pro racers and every single one of them had really good advice. But the key thing is they had time. You know, they were willing to talk to somebody that wants to go and do Dakar. And that's what makes the sport so awesome. Because if somebody has a bad day and you're having a good day, you feel like you're competing with the best of them. Yeah. Well, and that's... 
you know, that is definitely one of the things that I've seen. It's the, the information sharing, you know, even just go all the way back to the purpose of this episode and what you're planning is to be able to create this roadmap to how to get to the Dakar, you know, what it takes to, to, to get in there and, and, and participate. Not a lot of people, I mean, it's that it's, it's points on navigation, you know, tips and tricks and things like that. This is, this is one of the biggest things that I've seen in the sport is, is that there's, everybody's willing to help everybody. Yeah. Once you're out on the road, you know, once you're out there and there's a tricky waypoint, they may not be so forthcoming, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of part of it. That's it, the green, it depends, yeah. yeah, green to checkers, you know, it, well, yeah, you're right. It depends on the group because if you're the top 10% that they're there, you know, to win and overall the thing. Yeah. But if you're one of the guys that's there, you're riding, you're just out there having fun, then yeah, you're, you're going to share that. But no, in no other sport does that happen. Everybody's looking for that mm-hmm. secret line, that line that's faster to the next VCP. That's not going to, you know, that, that, that nobody else will take because that's going to get mm-hmm. a minutes, you know, it's just, it's a very different mentality. Yeah. There's this um, famous story. I and I'm well, not famous, but I'm sure it's happened more more than once. That you know, Mike uh, Johnson from Rally Comp is, is very well known. That if he ever gets to a point where he has to open a waypoint and uh, two people rock up at the waypoint at the same time, and then uh, there's actually a video clip from Coast to Coast where himself and Oswaldo Lara keep on. Uh, like, you know, no, you do it, you do it, you do it. And they couldn't get to a point. So they're like, okay, rock, paper, scissors. And the one that loses <laughs> has to open the waypoint, you know, and this is like caught on camera. And it's like, that is like, that's the essence of the sport. Like we're still competing, but you're going to push the limits to wherever you can. You know, that's, I, I mean, I've, I've done it. I have old, um, Oh, what's his name? Mumford um, was kind enough to open a waypoint for me that, you know, in the Baja rally, like, you know, if it was, if he didn't open the waypoint for me, I wouldn't have done as well as I did in the Baja rally last year. So, you know, that was, but it, again, I was able to convince him to do it. I've been very thankful. So <laughs> Mumford, <laughs> thank you, man. Like I've been thankful ever since, but yeah. it's, it's, a, it, actually, if it comes to opening waypoints, it's all about your, your bargaining skills. I think it's like, <laughs> what can you offer the guy in return? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, and you know, or if you're not switching, okay, I'll open this mm-hmm. one, but you get the next one. <laughs> And then you just never catch. Or you and then you never sure see you him never again. You. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I mean, there's, you know, and that's the great part about it is, is that there's just so many stories that revolve around rally and road books and being out on the course, um, you know, that I've, that I've been privy to hearing. I mean, epic battles between people that know how to navigate and people that know the terrain and the land, you know, and it just, it's so, it's so varied. You know, it's not mm-hmm. about, it's not about the wallet. It's not about who's willing to pin it the longest, you know, in, in sections where they shouldn't be, you know, riding dangerously or riding over their head. It's not about that. You know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it like you said, the, the road book becomes the great equalizer. You know, it doesn't care mm-hmm. how fast you are, you know, it's, and that, and the consistency, I think the biggest thing that I've seen in races all over the world, you know, is this thing where somebody has a bad day and then he quits, you know, and, and I, I mean, I have good stories about this and bad stories because I'll always be the guy that comes and sits with you and convince you to just do another, just one more stage. Cause 
I think it's an American saying. I don't know who coined it, but you know, to finish first, you first have to finish, right? Mm-hmm. And you just because rally is so varied, you just never know. You know, you, you I've seen guys be third or fourth or fifth in major rallies, and two days ago, you know, he was you packed up his bike and he was ready to go. And I was like, you don't know what's going to happen with the competitor ahead of you. Like, first of all, it's not that competitive. So put that out of your mind. But if you are that competitive, if you are really so competitive that you feel like you don't have a chance. And I mean, obviously it's not the right sport for you, but first, like just carry on going, just, you know, the old rally ethos was nothing mattered except your start time of your stage the next morning. Nothing else mattered. And the only deadline, the only rule was you had to be at the start line when you you were called. And that's it. You know, they were, and that's where these stories of guys riding through the night and, you know, fixing unfixable things come from. Because, I mean, the sport has become a little bit more uh, kind of, uh, what you call it, disciplined and a little bit more rules but that's the essence of it that's how it was in the old days so if somebody just carries on going and you know more often than not they end up in a really good position so it's 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 that tenacity that consistency thing of just going even if you have a bad day you know there's this thing where uh, one of the toughest races I, I've done, I think, was in 20, the 2019 Kalahari mm-hmm. Rally in South Africa. It was a, a six-day race, five-day race, and it was it. We didn't have rally comps, we didn't have any kind of devices, so you didn't know if you hit waypoints or not. So you basically only had your roadbook and you had a GPS with some waypoints loaded on it. Um, but the distances and the terrain, the, the organizer just didn't want people to finish his, his his game was to see how few people can finish and he wanted to make it really hard and you know we had sand and dunes and thunderstorms and i i remember some of us falling asleep on a like five six hundred kilometer kilometer liaison like on the bikes you know it was just it was hell and so many things was happening to me and my team, I mean, I had a Land Rover that blew up. My wife and my daughter got attacked in one of the towns. And it, it was just, you know, there was just stuff like you were in it, but it felt like you were drowning or I was drowning. And then in that moment, you as a rider are fighting with all of this stuff. And up until that point, or still, I, I felt like, you know, I'm, like this is life's unfair, right? I'm dealing with all this stuff and it's just, why me? Like, why am I? And then after the race, you know, and I thought of quitting a lot of times, like there's, there's this one section where I was actually doing great. I was leading the stage and I made a stupid mistake because I didn't mark my roadbook properly. That effectively cost me the position completely. But you know, the, the, the orga actually phoned me and they're like, you know, are you ready to quit? Cause we can see you're stuck, you know, stuck down the side of a mountain. And I was like, uh, just give me a, I'm not ready yet. Like, you know, and I was sitting there bemoaning my own lot. And then I heard a bike 
in the background. And the long and the short of it is I got off course and I went down the side of a mountain. And by the time I realized that, listen, a car can't ride here, which is where I'm now. I, I'm clearly off course. It was too late. And I couldn't, if I turn up to go back up the, the face of the mountain or the cliff, there was this dry grass. So there was no way that the bike could gain traction. So I was completely stuck. And at this point, I'd now pulled my bike halfway up the mountain, like literally just dragging it. And then far in the distance, I could hear a bike. Because at this point, I had no idea how far of route I was. Mm -hmm. And I, I I ran up the mountain. I could see the dust. And I was like, okay, that that's the route. At least I know where the route is. So I need to start going there. And then for about 30 minutes, there was just nothing. I was like, oh, damn, that was the last guy. And then... As I was walking back to my bike, ready to call it in and, you know, push the button or whatever, like crying in my helmet or whatever it is, this, I hear this bike like coming and there was a, I think he was a Belgian guy that mm. had quit the race, but he was there all the way from Belgium. So he, you still rode the course, but he wasn't in the race. So mm. he was like way in the back, just enjoying the scenery. Mm. And I just, I stopped him. I was like, listen, man, I don't know who you are. I know what your story is, but you have to help me. There's just no, you don't have a choice. Please <laughs> get off your bike. I just need you to help me pull my bike up here. Because uh, it's like a lip at the end of the mountain. So I pulled the bike up and now I had to start catching up. And I eventually I caught up a group of five, six guys. One of them was James Alexander, which actually did Dakar in twin a few years ago uh, from Botswana. And, you know, I managed to finish that stage that day, which was insane to me. You know, I was like, there was no way that I was ever going to finish the stage. Mm -hmm. Now this is on top of everything else. And after the race, speaking to people, you hear all of these stories of everybody else's trials and tribulations. And that race had taught me that the the thing of rally is we're all actually fighting to survive. You know, if if you have a smooth race where nothing goes wrong, it, that's the times you have to cherish and enjoy. But the rule is that assume everybody around you is fighting the same fight for, of survival. They have their own demons. They have their own problems. And all of a sudden, you know, where you are in the field doesn't matter because the probability of somebody else dealing with something that's much worse than you is actually quite high. They just, they just not talking about it. Um, and that to me was like a huge eye opener. I'm like, you know, always assume everybody's struggling mm -hmm. and, and that changes your way that you approach a rally or at least when you think of quitting, you know, and uh, that's my thing. Like, even if you finish dead last, it doesn't matter. Just finish the stage, start the stage and finish the stage. doesn't matter where you do it because the next day the, the, the deck is shuffled again completely. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, it's interesting that, uh, how you say, you know, everybody has their, their struggles and, you may have, I mean, what I'm sure at the bottom of that hill, you know, down that mountainside felt like six hours, you know, it could have been, you know, if it was 20 minutes, right. And just thinking rally comp penalties, you know, at, at most mm -hmm. of the rallies here in North America, you know, it could have been 20 minutes. Well, anybody that followed the course could have struggled to find a waypoint and then decided to skip it. And even though they had a quote unquote clean day, right. No, no incidents, no downtime with the bike, no nothing they're already in a 20 minute deficit. 
and they didn't even exactly. have to, they didn't have to drag their bike anywhere you know so nothing nothing went wrong for them nothing went wrong but you know the simple fact that they missed the waypoint or maybe they didn't miss it and and didn't have to skip it but they struggled to find it well there's 5 minutes and then they struggled to find the next so you're right you know it's it's really once you start hearing the stories back in the bivouac, you know, you could almost say like, well, there's five minutes and there's another 10 minutes and there's, and then all of a sudden you didn't lose as much time as you thought you did. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Victor with the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Hey, super quick. We have got some news for you guys. So Mira Activewear, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the brand. You should be. You've seen their handiwork. If you've seen pictures of Happy Dave and a few of our other riders here in the States, but also in the Dakar rally, a lot of the top pros wearing their windbreakers, custom-made rally suits and things like that. They have been phenomenal. They are a very, very high-quality product, awesome printing, design team, everything. But the reason we're interrupting this episode is they have got a fundraiser and promotional raffle going on right now between now and February. You want to get on over there. So you can purchase a limited-edition Mira bandana set. So three special designs. That will get you entered into the contest for a grand prize of a full rally suit. So check out all the rules and limitations, all that fun, you know, all that jargon. Get on over to the website. Link is in the description. And let's get back to the episode. Exactly that. 100%. And then sometimes you're like surprised, you know, you're like, oh. So, yeah, it's it's not over. Is it is it PC? Is it allowed to say it's not over until the fat lady sings or is that wrong? <laughs> Are you allowed to I don't say even, that? Yeah, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like but the audience I, would be okay. <laughs> the, for me, it's just the, the biggest value or the biggest thing I've learned is it's never over until it's over and you always have to push. And that's, you know, that I think the people, Honda might have started it. Somebody started this thing where once they started doing bad in Dakar, you know, and there was no chance of them winning, they just kind of go home. They stopped racing. Um, And to me, that was soul crushing. You know, I was like, you know, that's not part of the, that's not the rally ethos. Like, you know, that's not, you you have to finish the race. Not just, just because you you don't know what's going to happen. But I mean, I guess once you run into 24 hour penalties or stuff, then, you're probably never going to make it up, but it's still the honor of saying I actually finished the race. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's an interesting thing because I think at that point it may, you notice the difference, right? If it's, if it's factory Honda, you know, you have corporate or you have the team manager looking at it going, okay, well, we're going to have to expend these resources to be able to complete this. Like we already planned to do so, but since we're not in the running, why? But then the competitor, the athlete, the guy that they hired has that mentality, has the no, there's no way like I'm going to finish. But then it's that's becomes the struggle. You know, who mm-hmm. who has the horsepower? You know, yes, athlete, you know, we know they want to win. They do. Uh, they go for the win. And the that's next goal. And yep. the next best thing is, if not winning, is a spot on the podium. And from the podium on down, it's finishing is just making mm-hmm. sure that they get that that finish line. So for the corporation or for the team manager for all of that, they're just looking at it like, Hey, we're, you know, we've reached the end of, uh, we've reached the end of the rally. This is it. Yeah. There's no sense. You know, we can save this, we can save time, we can save money, we can save the bike, we can do all of these things, you know, and not have to do it. And it's just, Mm -hmm. 
it's just like it's one of the challenges that you know i guess as 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 pro athletes that they have to face i guess sometimes i mean i don't i don't know we'd have to talk and balance i guess as far as you know like you say the resources and also the risk to the rider and you know there's a there's a lot of if, if we start talking about that and you know actually kind of uh, performing the, i have heard a lot about you know people once you're out of the race, how you could affect the rest of the race for your teammates mm-hmm. or for other people, because you could very easily still win stages, but or you could just as easily lead people astray to give your teammates a bit of a advantage. So yeah. once you that's a that's a yeah that's a separate podcast we can have as a talk about the uh, different st- strategic decisions that's made on a high level for for rally racing because yeah. that that's a whole oh that's a big kind of <laughs> it that's is. the thing right and it, sometimes you just need to make the right choices like you know as a rookie some of the worst mis- decisions i've ever made was like entering in the wrong class you know and you you're like oh if i had entered that class i actually would have had a podium in that class but because i entered this class i don't even feature mm-hmm. um so there's so much in the you have to read the rule book I'll, I'll say that much if you plan to go and do a rally make sure you read the rule book because you have to use that to your advantage oh yeah they have use anything you can <laughs> well they have uh who is it uh, i remember seeing this i think it was either audi or it was like one of the past stack cars they they have somebody on the team that that it's like they're traveling lawyer and that's mm-hmm. their job to know every single rule. And when it comes to doing a protest or any of that stuff, it's like they're the guy. They have to cite the rules. They have to have, you know, present all the reasons. Like it's literally that's their job is to literally mm-hmm. just be there and litigate, you know, yeah. whether or not they're allowed to unlock a little more horsepower on the car. And I mean, that was a big deal of a few cars ago. But mm-hmm. so one of the things, I mean, it would kind of wrap up, but right now standing in december 2023 going to to december 2020 or january 2025 dakar initially what are some of the challenges that you see and maybe what are some of the challenges that you've already resolved oh man so (laughs) i would say talk about a loaded question (laughs) i'll I'll try and keep it short but you know i think the the biggest challenge for me personally um, has been the qualification process because, I mean, very few people are, are asking the ASO, you know, for qualification so far ahead. And for, for myself, I was like, guys, you know, I, I feel that I have a CV that represents the rally ethos and, a big part of it was that the team I chose was that, you know, it used to be that in Dakar, if you choose a good team, you kind of guaranteed your entry to Dakar, right? And it's also a big reason why I've waited so long because I wanted to go with a really good team. Um, and I wanted to be sure that I'm going to get selected. I, that to me must not be a question mark. Um, and I had kind of, signed up with the team in March of this year already with that as the understanding is guys, here's my CV. You are the guys that has the experience. You, the guys I'm paying. So is this fine? Is, are we good? Can I, can I get Dakar on the CV? And you know, there's no issue, no problem. Definitely you can. And, um, then in October or November this year, the ASO had a meeting 
and the AFO has actually changed their selection criteria for Dakar to a fully points-based system. It's only points that matter. There's no subjectivity. Um, and based on the full points by system, they only count for 25. They only count races after July of 2022. And obviously for 26, it will be July, 2024. So I, I guess that's a three year, three, let's say three year gap, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, they count your races and then they only count certain points to certain races. So that's actually something, this is a completely side note, but you know, something I'm busy with currently is I'm dealing with the ASO to get, uh, rally us or, or North American rallies, uh, of points towards Dakar. It's, it's something I'm super passionate about. And I actually am having a meeting with him tomorrow, uh, Tuesday this week mm-hmm. to, to take it further. But, you know, I, we, I, I want North American rallies to count towards the new system, which is a fully points by system for Dakar. Um, so the biggest challenge thus far was the, let's call it emotional and financial repercussions of, okay, you now need to go and do another race uh, this year, preferably a World Rally Rate Championship round in order to get enough points because, and they also won't tell you how much points. It's a question of the 130 bikes with the highest points are the 130 bikes that's going to get chosen. No discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me has been a big challenge and I'm currently resolving it. Hopefully on our next episode in January, we will, I'll be able to share with you guys exactly what's going on and how that's going to work. But I have a lot of exciting plans. Um, so that, that was challenge number one, I think, cause you know, it's that financially, you know, I, I'm not a independently wealthy person. This is something I've saved up for many, many, many years. And even so now it's like, okay, I effectively have to use my Dakar funding to qualify, which wasn't the plan. You know, that's again, I'm sure this is a theme that you and I will be discussing throughout the year is that even the best laid plans, you know, get, get uh, capsized. And that's the thing I've, I've when researching this process and researching the, the whole idea, I found more people that had decided or announced or planned to go to Dakar and never reach the start podium mm-hmm. than I did people going to Dakar. And then those people that went pretty much all of them finish or most of them, you know, it's, it's most people that get to Dakar end up finishing because of the struggle, the real struggle to actually physically get there. So for me, I'm sure the best, that's the whole point of this year is to say, okay, let's, let's make the best plan possible and let's share with the listeners how these things pan out in reality. You know, sometimes, sometimes things doesn't happen the way you plan them. Yeah, like for and instance, I, the debut pack, <laughs> the announcement <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Ex- exactly. But, you know, we're rolling with it. You're sitting up there in the middle of the morning or night, and I'm here, like we made it happen. And I think I think that the best stories of this year is actually going to come from that. You know, these the real way to Dakar and, and, and to not sugarcoat it. Like, you know, I, I'm not... I want to be able to say this is 
actually on the ground how it's happening. Um, so yeah, to answer your question in that sense, that challenge, uh, I mean, to me, it was huge, you know, it, it was a bit of a blow and, and just, I mean, even taking a step back before that, just deciding to do Dakar, Victor, it's one of the hardest things I've done because it's, you know, it is, it's a dream, but you know, to act on a dream that is selfish and to act on a dream that effectively, you know, takes your entire life savings and to act on a dream that, you know, basically takes you away from your family for almost a year, you know, it's not rational. And and I get it, dreams aren't rational. But at the same time, you know, if if, if you have to look at really physically doing it and what that takes, mm-hmm. it's a massive commitment to, to push it through. And I had gone up and down in the month and, and I spoke to a lot of people. You and I spoke, I mean, I've spoken to you. I've spoken to so many of my friends where it's like, you know, I go to bed one morning or one night and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do Dakar. And then you wake up and then it's just the next roadblock or the next challenge. And you're like, this isn't in the spirit of rally. You know, this isn't what rally is about. Let's go and do Africa Eco Race or let's go and do Morocco Desert Challenge and I can do 10 Morocco Desert Challenges for the price of one Dakar. I can, I can, I can race rally for 10 years. So if it's making memories and if it's getting experience, mm-hmm. you know, then I'm lying to myself if I, if I say I want to go and do Dakar for memories and for experience. So that emotional seesaw of literally not knowing which side to turn mm-hmm. and then making the decision of, okay, I've done it. I'm going to go. And then hearing that, oh, now you still have to go and do another qualifying round. That to me was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then next morning I'm like, well, if it was, if it's easy to get to Dakar, everybody would be there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you said it, I mean, it was, it was amazing advice, but I mean, you, I think your words were that, you know, you're not going to be, well, Dakar is not going to define you, but you are going to be defined by the Dakar. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there is only one race that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if this in our sport, in our world, yes. it's only one. Yeah. so you know i can walk into a room and say i've done 10 africa eco races and people will just be like oh well what's that yeah well, <laughs> what, what about so, the dakar have you done the you know it's like <laughs> exactly yeah exactly so so it's 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 a lifelong dream but you know it's just the decision has been a challenge to answer your question so yeah. i would say up to now the two big things has been the physical, the, the mental decision, anguish to make the call and decide I'm not backing down. And the next was the unexpected news of, of that if I really seriously want to qualify. And there's still no guarantees, right? They're like, you have to go and do this races or this race, that race, and then we'll see. So you have a sword hanging over your head. Um, and that's part of the journey. That's the stuff that I'm hoping to share. So... You know, we've got a very, very full year. We've got a lot of uh, rally training. Uh, we're doing a big beginner class in uh, up in um, Colorado with School of Moto, which I'm super excited about. We'll do that in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, the 
the Baja Rally I'm very heavily involved in and you know the team after the successful year we had this year you know it's amazing to see how everybody's coming together and the energy that there is out there for the Baja 2024 rally is uh, it's it's um what you call it if you it's contagious you know the whole team everybody's fired up and ready to go and and i just i get the feeling that baja 2024 is going to be one that exceeds anybody's wildest expectations it's going to be amazing um so between the rally schools um, we're doing a rally school up in the north as well in canada mm -hmm. i believe that is going to be probably around the same time as the tulip festival or the um tour tech rally so there will be a bit of clashing there but you know the guys up in canada are super supportive of american rallies and they they want to ride you know so um there's something up there called the boreal royale mm -hmm. at the end of uh at the end of june so um we do, we introducing roadbooks to this event that was normally just a gps event so if anybody wants to go and do that now there'll be an option to actually ride a roadbook as well yeah so that's super exciting nice. and then in i believe september we're also we're still finalizing everything but there will be a rally event or riding event school um, for adventure bikes Uh, or more adventure bike oriented uh, in South Dakota. Nice. Um, so yeah, so there's there's tons of stuff happening, which is amazing. You know, I, there's you guys should please keep an eye out for the ADV Moto magazine coming out in January. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote an article in that covering basically how to get into rally in North America, and I list all the events. You know, there's rallies in. Not just Mexico, but tons of of events and underground things happening in the states and in Canada. So, I think our our aim, our goal, is to get as many people on board as possible and make 2024 a bumper year for the sport. So that you know, next year this time we can talk about how many new people got into it. Got into it. Yeah, I mean that's that's going to be the huge thing, and I think that I I 100 agree with you. You know, after reviewing. Um, the numbers, you know, just what's happened in 2023 uh, from the the podcast side of it, growth wise, where, you know, here in North America, obviously parts abroad as well in the, in the world. Like, yeah, the sport is growing. The interest is growing. So what you're talking about, like the plan, right, to to have the schools, but also uh, lay out your road to Dakar, all of these things like the, it couldn't have it could not come at a better time, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, to the, to the organizations, you know, that, that are listening and the, the guys that organize events or the maybe thinking like, this is the year. So I think that 2024, you know, like I say, is lay out those plans and think about it from the perspective of like, if I was new to the sport, how am I going to get in? You know, exactly. And I think that in that regard, you know, we're at the cusp of a revolution in rally riding in the US for the simple reason that, you know, people in America love to say, yeah, but there's so many rallies in Europe, right? The general quality of a European race is that you show up and there's four or 500 people 
And you don't need, I mean, you might have a road book, but you almost don't need an Odo because, you know, it's just, there is no places to ride. I, I get this, this places and stuff like the Cirrus Rally, but these are all smaller, high density events on very, let's call it defined roads, you know? So if you're already a rally rider and you go and do one of these races, it's not like it's a challenge. There's a lot of people that want to do it, but it's almost a little bit, too much and too easy as far as people is concerned. So America as a country and as North America as a continent, you know, yes, we have a few events, but that's more than we have in South Africa and it's more than we have in North and uh, South America. Mm-hmm. And it's probably more than you have in Asia. And these, these rallies are high quality events. You know, every single, I'm, Really, I mean, we can count them off, but I mean, Sonora is high quality, Baja is high quality, Kota is different, but high quality. Mm-hmm. A Battleborn, I think, is going to be super, super exciting. I mean, I know Kent has been working very, very hard. And, you know, they, they're trying to go back to the roots of, of rally. Now, these are just the four events. Then we've got Dan Bart's um, SoCal Rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's at least three rallies I know of in North America. We've got um, Patrick's um, Coast to Coast, which, by the way, is a, a lower wave event. It is really, really amazing if you can ever make it down there. Um, then Todd Zacker on the East Coast is working on a rally and he's got his roadbook events. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take all of that, which another rally schools or School of Moto, and there's a few other events that's happening because people are just getting together and riding. Um, I know that, um, is it Chris out on your side of the world? He sometimes put together a few, like just groups of people to ride. Um, there's people out in Georgia way, uh, Dave Black, I know is getting heavily into it, you know, so, so people are spreading the word. So we have events, enough high quality events. There's no excuse for anybody. Oh, sorry. I missed one off beast adventures. I mean, uh, the guys at off beast are doing great work at just getting new lifeblood into the sport. So we have all of these things. And now we also have the the rise of the digital roadbook and the, the fact that you can just use your phone mm-hmm. um, or a tablet or, or any other device to do it. You don't have to like spend thousands of dollars. So, you know, it depends on you are going to develop and you're going to hopefully eventually spend thousands of dollars. But to start to get into it and to get that rush and that feeling and that, you know, I don't know, that feeling of when you hit the waypoint and you get that butterfly effect, you know, a flutter of butterflies in your stomach, that the, 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 the barriers to entry to that is getting lower by at a space that we've never seen before. And the events that enable people to do that is growing by leaps and bounds. It is. I, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy to see it, you know, how, how fast it's it in, I mean, in a matter of years, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I think that the la in the last two years, it's it doubled, if not almost tripled in size, mm-hmm. which is, which is great. And I talked to, you know, I've talked to, um, a lot of guys that race Baja and, mm-hmm. and when we start the conversation kind of comes up and it's like, Oh, well, you know, so yeah, I kind of been thinking about doing that, you know, I'm not sure. So there's, you know, 
even a lot of crossover guys that are already used to racing out in the desert you know are looking to like well what's this rally thing about you know and 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 get into that you know so then it becomes like okay well now you've got a, a guy that you know can ride you know respectably now he wants to learn how to navigate and and the opportunity to go out and do that has increased threefold what's going on guys victor with the chasing waypoints podcast all right are you looking to promote your brand to a worldwide audience on the podcast drop us a line at podcast at chasing waypoints.com and let's talk see what we can do about getting you some more ears for your company and getting the word out worldwide where before you didn't know where to go there wasn't it's even not an event. underground event anymore where you can't find any information. It's like, you know, you pick up the phone and there's a huge community of people that's, that's ready to help you. Yeah, exactly. So. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the big exciting things as well is the fact that, you know, it's not just, it's for the racer, but let's say you've got a 790 or 890 or 1290. There's, there's so many adventure riders that's just bored of following a GPS line. And, I maintain that it's way more dangerous to follow a GPS line than riding a road book. Way more dangerous. Because yeah. it just doesn't give you the information you need. So you've got that segment of the market that want to try it. And then, as you say, you've got your LA to Barstow and your Baja legends and the people that are really good at racing that's just tired of racing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, it opens up a whole new world. You know, you already have the bike. You just have to be open-minded to try something new. And I think we're going to see more and more of that happening in 2024. And hopefully, you know, we can play a part in it. Your show does an amazing job at it. You know, you are the the point of contact for anybody that wants to get into rally and kind of the golden standard in the U.S. So, I mean, thank you so much for everything you do. And um, yeah all the time you put in because i know you put in a hell of a lot of time to do this so you know thank you for that because i mean if it wasn't for guys like you normal guys like me wouldn't have a, a mouthpiece you know nobody would listen to us <laughs> we would just be <laughs> shouting into the nothingness yeah. so well that's the you know at, at the event preaching to the choir right the guys that are already discovered the rally and you know that that are already in the sport so yeah mm-hmm. and i mean and I, it, it goes, I mean, it's, it's a two way street. I mean, also what you, what you've done for the sport in training and creating the events in your social media and everything that, you know, you've exposed a lot of people to it, to be able to do that, including like things like with the rally tab project, you know, to be able to, to create another pathway for people to get into the sport, you know, not just the paper road book of before, you know, and then the, the ICOs and the RNS units and all of this stuff. So there's, you know, it, it, it's been with you, it's been really a, a two way street, you know, in growing this and getting, you know, getting exposure to the sport. You know, you, you happen to have an influence on two major continents. <laughs> and it's interesting. And I'm, I'm very, thank you for that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, I really appreciate that. But yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the crossover because for us, for South Africans, you know, we've, we have so many, Dakar legends, you know, that's one of the reasons why I've always, I grew up watching Dakar with my dad at the beginning of every year. And it was like, you know, this is how your year starts. And it, it, I, I find it interesting, but I'm also excited about this crossover thing because, you know, I, I really hope we can pull some guys from America to South Africa. And I really hope I can bring guys from South Africa to America and to Mexico because, you know, there's, 
we actually are so similar in so many ways. And um, I'm super excited for that part of the journey to unfold because, you know, I, I would love to get some of the top South African racers in bar for the bar rally and put them against some of the, the best guys there and see how we do. Yeah, it's, it'd be a fun when we could, we could do a country by country um, competition to see. Um, <laughs> it's and, like you know, vice versa. So, yeah. Yeah, because look, one thing that's a fact is American racers are harder racers, and that's something that I've learned in the U.S. It, your, the, because you have a culture of Baja or rally or, or desert racing, mm-hmm. um, that culture exists nowhere else. I mean, the closest thing that comes to it is Fink in, in Australia, and even there, it's not a culture. It's one race they do. Mm-hmm. But because of that, you know, you can see it and, and it's something that piqued my interest a lot in Dakar. Americans will never complain or let's call it North Americans. I don't want to, but you know, people from the Americas mm-hmm. will never complain when there's a roadbook issue or whether there's, uh, you know, when they change the route, they're like, why did you change the route? A few years ago, there was that big thing where the trucks had churned up the road and all the races were like, ooh, this is unsafe. And all the Americans were like, what are you guys talking about? Like, this is rally. You know, the roadbook is there as as a guide. And I think what has brought that up is that growing up as a desert racer, and you can see it by, you know, Skyler, uh, Ricky, Mason, like all all the top guys that's in, I mean, or not, like every single American that's racing in the Dakar is doing well. right but they do well because of that hardcore desert racing background that no other europeans can't get it you know south africans can't really get it we just ride a lot of bikes but if you grow up with that mentality of ride the terrain ride what you can see don't depend wholly on your roadbook your roadbook is there as a guide that gives you a huge advantage above the guys like me or people that were taught that your roadbook is the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. if that rock isn't in the roadbook, then the roadbook's wrong. Like that's if the, because we didn't grow up with that idea of desert racing. And I think I love that concept, and and it's something that I'm learning in the, on the US side, and that I'm bringing to South Africa, especially in my own roadbook. Say saying that, guys, you know, you have to ride the terrain first and the roadbook second. It's your ultimate responsibility. Yeah. So we're not going to change the route. It's down to your riding skill, mm-hmm. and then the navigation. And that's a that's a different way of, of most Europeans don't look at it in that regard. No, no, and I you know and I agree. And a lot of people, it's inter- I talked to racers after that Dakar, and they told me it's not uh, it wasn't any worse than the first couple of miles at any of the desert races here in in exactly. in the states. It wasn't that bad, but you know, like you said, it's like if you if people aren't used to it, you know, then yeah, it, it's. Yeah, they had a couple of offs of some of the the riders, but the people that were used to riding in rough conditions based on what they can see and split between that and what the roadbook says, they did okay. You know, mm-hmm. and and unfortunately it ruined some races up at the top because of them cutting the stage short. So mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah, it definitely did not benefit American racers, but that decision. But the other thing for me that I I learned with in America from the the bigger, faster guys is that, you know, you have to adjust your speed to the terrain. If 
the roadbook isn't that accurate and if there's a lot of rocks and if there's a lot of rats, it's your responsibility as the rider to go slower. Mm -hmm. You can't now go faster in an area that you're not able to ride. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, that's valuable because I mean, hearing from even top guys that, you know, they also sometimes go slower because they pace themselves to the terrain. That is, it's, it's a, it's great advice, but people think of racing as just, Putting it flat out and that's it. And but I mean, I guess that again, you have to finish to finish first. You first have to finish. So exactly. that's what it comes down to. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Okay. So what are we? Let's see. What do we got planned next? When are you? Uh, when are you coming stateside again? What's your? Uh, what's your? Plan I next? will be training now in South Africa, and I will be back stateside mid January. Okay. So I will be working hard on my side to bring you guys good, relevant info on not just what I'm doing, but also as far as how the Dakar process is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be keeping you guys up to date or informed about our discussions to get some points for the U.S. rallies. That will take a bit of time because of Dakar happening right now. Yeah. But I am on it. I am busy with it, and I'm talking to various event organizers uh, about that. Um, and then, yeah, training-wise, uh, and also just, you know, the path forward. Um, I Also, there's tons of, of things that's happened, people that have supported me or will be supporting me. So I definitely think in January I will uh, kind of give you guys feedback as to, you know, who's come on board to kind of, I mean, obviously – chasing waypoints and and you you victor as far as you know you were the first one to say like okay i'll carry the story and then i'll take this so you know you're you're a sponsor number one (laughs) in that regard but you know it's i definitely want us to kind of focus on on you know also the process of finding sponsorship is extremely difficult and it's not that i'm a racer so i'm not going to get sponsored for racing so this will be a community effort um and you know i definitely will let you guys know how that has come happened and who's getting involved we we definitely have a, a lot of people that's willing to help in the process so it'll be january we'll look at what i'm going to do to qualify for dakar how i'm going to qualify for dakar and basically what i've done up till now what team i'm doing going with how did i secure that team um and we can also start looking into the cost of stuff because i have started paying <laughs> I, yeah. I have started buying stuff which is uh, scary i flew with my air vest to south africa and i was so scared that it's not going to make it here but it did <laughs> so that's a whole separate story but i have it here very much so awesome no, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I think this is going to be a great story for everybody to to tune into and and really get, uh, man, and really get, get sink their teeth into something like, okay, this is you know this is what the actual undertaking is. You know, we've seen it from mm-hmm. from a lot of different perspectives, you know, previously, but not not in detail and not with the new pitfalls and including like you mentioned the new point system. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. not making it any easier. You know, whether it be the roadbook or the registration process. And, you know, Kira from Westex likes to say that, you know, the ASO makes it the entire process as difficult as possible from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like from the word go, everything is just as awkward and as difficult as possible. 
And that's, you know, again, maybe it's to dissuade people from doing it because it is going to be damn difficult and to kind of, you know, weed people out. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it goes. I really hope I make it. I mean, I think for me, that's the thing is we have this thing, whereas, you know, everybody, we always say, we oh, well, I'm going to Dakar. And, and, you know, again, thanks to your great way of looking at things because you always see things in a different light. It's not, I'm not going to Dakar. It's can I get to Dakar? Am I going to make it? So. Yeah. And that would be, like I said, will be an effort of, of everybody together. And, and I would like to do that. You know, I'd like us to, as a, as a rally community, actually do this as a project together, as opposed to, oh, Willem's going to Dakar. You know, it's anybody can go to Dakar. But if we do it as a community and if we build a roadmap for future generations and for future people to make it easier, mm-hmm. I actually think it will it'll be the same as what has happened with rally, right? It was at first, it was really difficult to get information and now it's much easier. So if we can put that out there for future riders, it might stimulate more people being able to go because they will have a realistic expectation and a a roadmap or a a set of guidelines as to what they have to do so that it doesn't just stay a dream and so that it actually becomes a reality. Yeah. So you can actually, execute on this and and have that recipe out and make sure that you know the the questions get answered you know because i you can't pick mm-hmm. up the you can't pick up the phone with the aso like everybody else you know does you know january 21st or the the day the rally's over and and try and get all this information on how to do it so this is going to be valuable not just for north america but i mean honestly the world you know hey this is how you do it you know this is this mm-hmm. is the current process this is the the trials and tribulations to get to there Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you said something very important. I know we're wrapping up, but if any of the listeners have specific questions, I think the more listener feedback we have, the the better, because I mean, effectively, I will be at the mercy or I'll be off service to the rally community. You know, that's the point. <laughs> so, you know, if you guys want to know something or are curious about something or want myself and Victor to explore something specific, let us know. And, and you know, we can build around that because we, we want to know what you, you guys, the listeners are also thinking. Yes, exactly. And what you're curious about. So. Yeah. Awesome. Very, very well said. Cool. And that, that is the, uh, and that is the plan. Make sure we get the, make sure we get the questions answered. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely keep you abreast of that. So every awesome. time I close my eyes, there's a different one. So, but <laughs> well, as long as so, they're dreams yeah. and not nightmares, that's the plan. That's it. It's getting there. It's yeah. getting there. Well, Excellent. thank you so Excellent. much for your yes. time, Victor. I really appreciate it. I know it is a, this was a big one coming. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I hope you have a great uh, Sunday. It's Sunday there, right? Yeah, it's, Sunday. You know, it's now Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nice. Very nice. Well, enjoy well, the rest of the day. And uh, yeah. Thank you. We yeah, will, uh, December in South Africa is crazy. You know, it's like <laughs> we take off. From the 15th of December to the 15th of January, the whole country comes to a standstill. You know, people say it's, it's a, December is a feeling. It's not a month. Interesting. <laughs> you know, and it's just like everybody lays down tools, 
and it's just it's just socializing and family you know you have guests at home every night it's it's a huge cultural thing so because everybody's traveling to see their family so after this call you know tonight i've got like six or seven different friends from lifelong friends that uh, they're all traveling to different places but because i'm kind of in the middle of the country they just kind of sleeping over on their journey they're the you're the meeting point Exactly. No, we'll, t- nice. we'll drink some beers and tell some stories. Oh, actually, I'm actually not drinking beer at the moment. That's another episode. It's just like the whole <laughs> physical preparation. preparation. You know, we could do a whole episode of that. But, you know, I started physically preparing on Thanksgiving because it's like there's always going to be a reason to yes. not be disciplined if it comes to that stuff. I so know. that's a whole different situation. But it's weird because in my culture, there's a lot of eating. So people mm-hmm. don't just like, oh, Willem is getting ready for Dakar. There's more like something's wrong with Willem. He's not eating. Yeah. What's wrong with the guy? <laughs> you know? All it's, of the, yeah. must be depressed. I know. know? It's, so, the, it's the wrong season to start a diet. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's always the wrong season. That's why I, I was that's like, true. no, I'm, gonna, I'm starting right now. And yeah, so beer, but I still drink other beverages so yeah. we'll see yeah less calories <laughs> and, and mostly calories, more effective skills, <laughs> exactly excellent sir. Great, well man. enjoy the day and we'll uh thank you, we'll you talk too. to you soon thank you very much i really appreciate this man have a great evening yeah chat soon likewise see ya all right, so there you have it. That was Willem Ammonen, and that is the big announcement. Willem working on the recipe, on the roadbook to get to the Dakar Rally in 2025. So absolutely excited when we talked about this idea initially and what we were going to be doing and what he was looking to do. I was like, yes, we need to. We need to have that recipe out there. You know, there is no cookbook for rally, but, you know, maybe we could get pretty close to it. I don't know. How many other references of outside of rally could we do? I don't know if you got a good one and you're on Spotify, drop it in the Q&A section. If you're on any of the other platforms and have questions about the Dakar rally or any comments or anything that you would like to see or hear on the show, absolutely get on there. Hit me up on Instagram, DM me, and then we'll get uh, we'll get uh, your questions answered. If I don't respond, because I only recently found out that I had a bunch of messages stuck in one of the like spam boxes or whatever. I'm not a pro. I, I do more podcasts audio than I do actually posting on Instagram, which we're going to change that for 2024. But if you haven't gotten a response, jump on one of the pictures, send me a comment. I will see that and then we will get it answered. Anyway, we're wrapping up the year, guys. Stay tuned. We got a lot of great stuff coming up. NAR files, as well as a chat with uh, the Mason, Mason Klein's parents or the Klein's, I should say, uh, and talking a lot about his Dakar effort for this year, which was almost put together at the world, which was put together at the very, very end with the thanks being to one of their major sponsors, Effective Soft. So I hope you guys are enjoying the episodes. Let's keep it going. We got 2024 coming up and then 2025 right behind it. So a lot of big things happening and I look forward to bringing them to you guys. So remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Looking forward to our next one coming up. Remember, if you are out riding, do not forget to tag us at Chasing Waypoints. Hashtag Chasing Waypoints. And if you haven't already, get on over to the website. Get signed up for the newsletter, The Bivouac. North America's Rally Raid and Adventure Riding 
newsletter. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's find out what are you guys up to. Let's get you featured. If you're a brand and looking to get supported, get some eyeballs, get some ears on your business. Absolutely. Hit us up. Send us a message at podcast at Chasing Waypoints. But anyway, that is a wrap. Remember, shiny side up. See you guys.